Hi all, thank you for tuning in to episode 27 of the State of Being podcast with me, Ian Bentley. Today I am in conversation with Sue Tetley and Sue's a Thrive Programme Consultant. Sue talks us through um, a challenging period for her and her husband in in their life. Um, They grew up, met each other, got married and then you know the the natural next progression is to have children and that's where they had some challenges and ultimately were unable to become uh, pregnant through some of the the natural uh, processes and that includes the IVF program Um, and so there's a realisation of we can't have children in the way that we would imagine we would have done and then that then led on to sort of I guess some time of self-inquiry and what should we do next and should we do anything next should we just just let it go but then they they landed on going on to a a talk about adopting and then got a bit more curious and ended up following that process through which today has led them with a, a lovely beautiful daughter that they've got in their life and Sue also uh, as well as achieving that, Sue has taken some of that personal experience that she gained through wanting children, not being able to have children, to then helping women and couples who are in a similar situation, helping them to move through that, explore other options um, and help them uh, yeah, move on from what can be a really uh, challenging uh, period in your life to come out the other side maybe adoption maybe no children there's 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 a few different options as sue talks us through um in this podcast so enjoy hope you get something out of it sue was a lovely person to chat to and we had a bit of a laugh along the way so i hope you all enjoy listening hi sue thank you for joining us on the podcast today hi so sue and i had a, a conversation it must i think we were just saying about a month ago wasn't it on the phone yeah um, you'd contacted me and said, oh, I might have something that's inf- uh, helpful to share with people. And so I'm going to briefly summarise that. Mm. Hopefully we'll just give it an outline figure and then we'll kind of uh, go into some of the detail behind it. So Sue originally contacted me to talk to me about the her desire as a young woman, which is totally normal to want to have children and then finding out you can't have children and then going through the different options that are available to try and help the increase the likelihood of becoming pregnant um, and, re- and that not going the way that you'd wanted it to. And then finally uh, coming to adoption. And I was just asking Sue about what she does professionally and you were talking about Thrive and how... And we'll, we'll kind of arrive at, I guess, how yeah. you went from wanting children, not being able to have children, IVF... Um, and then adopting, and then how Thrive came into that. But if you could just tell us a little bit about what you do with Thrive to start off with, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. So the Thrive program, so it's a psychological training program, and I basically help women who are in the same situation as me. So it's teaching them how to thrive, how to take back control of their lives and to just feel more powerful, in control, and that they can make decisions really and move and move forward and because it's really difficult when you're in that situation there's you can feel really powerless and helpless and from going through that experience myself and then going through the thrive program myself I feel that I've got a lot of empathy for those women and I can really turn things around for them like the thrive program turned things around for me when I was in that situation and it can help people with depression and anxiety and all sorts of different yeah, yeah. things. But 
I'm really focusing on helping women in that in that situation so at the moment. How do people? How do? How would women? come across Thrive? Is it something they're referred to or is it something that's they might Google something that they're struggling with and it might you might come up on their web search or how would people, how would yeah. you come into contact with Thrive? So, well, my business is called Thrive with Sue and I've, I've just done a, a blog actually, some tips on how to help people going through IVF treatment and it's something, you can't get it on the NHS or anything at the moment. So it is, it's Google Thrive Programme. And that's, there's lots of Thrive Consultants all over the world now, actually. And we all have different focuses. We can help with lots of things, but that's something that I'm really passionate about and sort of would like to help people either locally or Skype. Yeah, yeah. And how long have you been doing the Thrive work? About three three years oh, now, okay. but in in a bit of having my daughter, yeah, my ado- adopting my little girls, having a little bit of a little bit of a break, and then I well, we we'll probably talk about this a yeah. bit later, but I I was a, a pediatric oncology nurse sure. for okay. nine years, so I wow. worked children with cancer, and then a few. When I first started doing the Thrive Programme, I did that in as well. So I was doing right. two. But then when I had my Busy daughter, bee. it got a bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two jobs. Needed to prioritise. <laughs> and looking after a little, you know, one-year-old. So I, wow. I took the difficult decision to actually stop yeah. doing my the nursing, which was hard because that's what you identify mm. with and you work hard to to get to that but I felt personally that it was the right thing yeah. and I guess it's if you, you could potentially revisit it if you wanted to or yeah I need to keep my hours and the, my registration yeah. if I if I chose to do that but at the moment my life is sort of going down a different <laughs> a different path path to oh, to well. that but it, it actually doing that working with children with cancer and their families and the Thrive Programme. I mean, that really lent itself because mm. I had, uh, there's so much again about, about the parents having a huge desire for control. They they have no control over what's happening with sure. their child and giving it, sort of conversations and helping them get the coping, coping skills. Um, so it, it was really, and it was good, it helped me cope with busy yeah. shifts and just feeling less, um, you know, sort of, ah. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so, but, yeah. It and was... I can imagine a lot of those, like you say, the skills that you developed through nursing, whether that be clinical or also the interacting with patients and parents are skills that definitely translate into what you're doing now with Thrive. Yeah, and I, I think I'm just a sort of person that, I can't just sit in an office with nobody. I I want to communicate with people, yeah. and I, I I don't. I wouldn't get any pleasure out of making rich businessmen richer. I I want to help people, and this is a different way, a yeah, different yeah, way of yeah. of of helping of helping people and giving and giving something something back. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. So if we wind 
back. So where where did you grow up as a teenager? Whereabouts in the? So you you might be really confused with my accent, <laughs> <laughs> but I've lived in a lot of places. Basically, my dad got made redundant a few times, so I sort of lived in Nottinghamshire for quite a while. I was born in Liverpool, lived in Nottinghamshire, then moved up to Yorkshire, West Yorkshire, Ilkley, when I was 13, just just in the holidays, just before I was about to start secondary school. And um, stayed there until my yeah, went to, went that to was university. That, I, was think, I, remember, I remember when I was around that age, 11, 12, and I remember at the time my dad had a potential opportunity to, and I've always, I lived in Suffolk, growing up in Suffolk, and he had an opportunity to get a job in Leeds. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, my God, no. Not because it was Leeds, but because the thought of um, losing the friends that I had and having to recreate that. So 13 is quite a vulnerable age for that kind of move. Yeah. How, how was that? I... I struggled. Actually, I really struggled. Um, I had a really good friend, Catherine, who I I was we were friends with throughout my mid, middle school. And I'm not the kind of person that has a huge group of friends. Yeah, I tend yeah. to have some really close couple of friends, and yeah, so that and that that was that was hard. They tried to make it easier for us when we were at middle school, thinking it was a good idea that. The last two years, they 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 split us up into a different class because we were supposed to be moving earlier. But then I, that really didn't work. <laughs> so I just ended up getting bullied and all. Oh, it's not nice. But um, I, yeah, and I struggled. And I, we, my parents picked a really, a really nice area because they wanted us to go to good schools. Yeah. So it's that compromise. Less nice house in a nice yeah. area. <laughs> and I just got this impression. I thought, oh, it's a nice area. Everyone's going to be, everyone's going to be really posh and everyone's going to be really clever. <laughs> <laughs> so I just worked really, really hard. And then, and then I stood out a mile because I, they put me in the wrong group. So I was then like the SWAT. Oh. <laughs> and that didn't, didn't go down to, <laughs> so yeah, I didn't, I, I, I have to say, I didn't particularly like school. No, like school very much. I mean, it was Ilkley's beautiful, and the moors. You know, you can see yeah. Ilkley Moor and the cow and calf from from my parents' house. It's literally about a mile because I ran up there the other day from my parents' oh, wow. house. Are they so they still up there? Are they? They have literally just moved. They moved down to Sudbury. Actually. Oh, okay. So yes, yeah, but. My husband's parents are still in East Lancashire, so we all get to. This, we've still got northern, you know, northern, yeah, yeah, yeah. northern, northern ties, and this is the furthest south I've ever, I've ever been. Actually, yeah. Feel free to have a gob with your tea because yes. it's, I'm sitting here drinking tea, and poor Sue, because she's doing all the talking, doesn't get a chance to have a tea. So I'm quite sitting, <laughs> sitting here drinking away. Um, so, how long were you? there for did were you there through like high school and beyond or yeah so what I did so at 18 then I went to Loughborough University and I did a psychology degree there and then I afterwards like lots of sort of 21 20 year olds going what am I going to do now yeah 
go back, <laughs> go back home. Um, and I just, I had an idea. I wanted to do clinical psychology. And I know that it was really hard to get into. So I, what I did, like lots of voluntary work and working out, okay, what do I need to get to that point? And so I just got like local jobs and then I ended up going to did a master's yeah. in uh, Lancaster University. It was all like L's. I was saying the thing about L, <laughs> going somewhere with an L. And I, yeah, I went up there and did a master's in psychological research methods just to try and make it easier for myself to get to that point. I love for a backtracking a bit. I had met, met my husband in my final year. He'd actually left, but I knew lots of his friends. Yeah. And I was friends with them. And so we met there and we kind of commuted backwards and forwards, uh, you know, M1. You do what you have to weekends. do, don't you? <laughs> and then he did this crazy thing when we went to Lancaster by living there, half living there and half living in Loughborough. In in West Bridgeford in Nottingham, and he was a lad, a house full of lads, and he had. It was a really weird uh, um, ex old like working men's club, and he got the ex urinal as a bedroom, <laughs> which is lovely <laughs> to visit. It, you could tell it was a shape. Of wow! <laughs> so when I visited him, I sleep in the urine or <laughs> <laughs> and he would do that just uh half live up there with me and half live there and then we got engaged in Lancaster I remember he didn't have a ring and he he oh yeah I'd had a really bad day at university really bad day and I'd gone to the pub <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and some of my mates were in on it um and he messaged them and said can you make sure she doesn't drink too much, please? <laughs> like, I'm going to come and get her. <laughs> so, so he got me before it was. It probably wasn't uh, illegal. Right, right, <laughs> right, to, right. To go, yeah, 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 yeah. Why did I agree? Uh, and then didn't have the ring, but bought me some flowers, and then we didn't have a vase. So he kind of got hands and knees with a vase. <laughs> and just it was all a bit weird. And then we went to because it's really close to the Lake District. We went. Um, then we went there and we picked a had a look for rings. So yeah, that was that was that was great. And then we we moved back down to West Bridgeford after I finished my, oh, my okay. course. So what was your um, first sort of employment post all the qualifications that you gained? Oh, what did I? So I I remember like really. So once I got that. I was like, right, I just need to get a job. So it wasn't really, it was just temping stuff. And then I thought, right, I've still got to try and get on this course, <laughs> <laughs> which takes, um, I was reading about an average four or five times. You get rejected oh. four or five times before you even get on. So I got a, through doing some work, some agency work with a sort of social care thing I was working with them um, um autistic children um I was with a guy who knew about this school and he I was working with him and he saw them in the in the park and he said that's Sutherland House School 
why don't you go up to them and ask them if they've got any jobs <laughs> in a park in Nottingham? And I was like, oh, well, he's standing waiting for me to go. And <laughs> so I, <laughs> I did, and, um, and I did some voluntary work there, and then they offered me a job because it was you have to get work with lots of different related things. Right, right. So... Yeah, if you wanted to, adults, kids, all sorts of things. I mean, there was loads of jobs going if I wanted to work with male sex offenders in prisons, but I wasn't really interested yeah, in doing no, that. Sure. But so I worked, I ended up working there for a few years and I absolutely loved it. It was amazing, this this job. So working, and it was a primary school, the primary school section children with autism so they were too severe to go to mainstream mm. they had and it was in literally a house and we we used to go on those trips with them and everything and I, I mean I got absolutely battered I mean I feel my husband he's like you can't go out like that because I have bruises everywhere because the kids, they can't, they just bite, you know, they, yeah, they, they don't pinch, bites, gets distressed. So I used to, in the summer, be going around with like a big denim jacket, <laughs> padding, padding. Um, yeah, and then you don't really realise and then you want to go out for the evening and you're like, oh, it looks like I've been beaten yeah, up. Yeah, in a violent relationship. <laughs> yeah, so, so we did that and then it got to a point where... I'd applied for the clinical psychology, I think, once or twice. And I, and then I thought, you know what, I, I just want to work with children. Mm. And that's what I'm interested in. I want to work with children. So I had a complete kind of left field moment of going, I don't want to be a teacher. Well, oh, I could be a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and and I'd, I'd applied for lots of assistant psychology jobs, and I'd also I kept going second all the time. You need experience, you need experience to get yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah, I know. And research assistant jobs, and I remember um, going to get a uh, coming second again. In it was something to do with hearing research in Nottingham University, and. I went there and this guy, I really, it was really harsh. I thought the feedback, but it was, it was honest. And actually I thank him for it now. And he just, he just said to me, I don't think this is really a th what you should be doing. I don't, I don't think you're kind of cut out for this. I think you need to go and do something with people. This isn't, I don't think this is what you should be How doing. How did you receive that? I was really pissed yeah. off. <laughs> really, I just <laughs> took it like you don't think I'm good enough. Yeah, you don't know me. You or don't what? know me. But actually, then I reflected on it and I thought, I think you're right. I don't think me doing a PhD or um, crunching data is, is mm. really me. Mm. I think I need to be going out and... Talking to yeah, talking to people. So I, I decided. I thought nurses. There's 
they always need nurses. Nurses yeah, are yeah. never out of a job, are yeah. they? So yeah. that's when I just thought I'm going to apply to be a children's nurse. So then I did my training in in Birmingham. So that was a, not a, an L, it was a B. So How was that? How was the, tra- the nurse training? I mean, I used to work in the NHS, but not clinically. Yeah. But, it, you know, when I'd be one of the managers and I'd obviously mm. be on and off the wards just to bed pressures and all things like that. And, you mm. know, you'd meet some of the student nurses and I'd think, crikey, I'd be thinking, I don't, know, I don't think I could do that. That seems really, mm. you know, there's a lot to do, a lot to take in, challenging patients to work with and all of that. So how did you find mm. all of that? Or was it a bit like your Dr. Water? Because I think sometimes it can be a bit chalk and cheese with a lot of things. Can't I, I was pretty naive. I didn't... Some people have been healthcare assistants. Mm. They've done stuff before. I had this idea and I went for it. And I, from my background and the things I've done, and I was very, I'm good, I'm good talking to people. I'm mm. empathetic. I, I do all that. The, the, um, the practical skills were more, you know, were more difficult for yeah. me because I'm not, I'm more academic. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not that good spatially trying to do things. Sure. Uh, so I found I found that quite hard, but I yeah it was fine. And I had a there was a really nice group of I met a really nice group of friends, and we were all it is um, a graduate like a graduate certificate. So you, it was people who'd already done a degree, and it was supposed to be related to nursing in some sure. way so although I had a friend who'd done African studies but she managed to sort of tweak it so yeah. <laughs> it was, had a bit of sociology in it and somebody got a very convenient uh, degree in kind of biomedical sciences which is very handy when we had to do all the uh, complex yeah, yeah. sort of biology things and so oh it was it was good it was two it was two years um, it was weird because at Loughborough, all my friends were guys, nearly, because yeah. there's hardly any women. Yeah. <laughs> Loughborough is just blokes, rugby players and stuff. And then I went to do the nursing and there was no, yeah. hardly any. <laughs> so that was a bit weird. Um, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I'd never lived anywhere like Birmingham, nowhere that big before. So that was a bit of a culture shock yeah uh, very kind of multicultural and sort of big big year and all of that yeah really big big i mean i was it was exciting and it was it was a nice thing to nice Mm. thing to experience and it was interesting just the kind of patience that i i hadn't really in my life i suppose a bit white middle class so it was it, it was it was different and and cultural things that come up that you wouldn't have experienced and go, oh, well, you need to think about this and this. Um, but we're big in in Birmingham. So when we were in Birmingham, so I was do, doing my nurse training, We, you might wonder why I ended up in Suffolk. <laughs> <laughs> but we ended up, my husband um, has a, a cousin who actually lives Woodbridge oh, okay. way, okay. and her and her husband were going to the 
where they worked, there's an office, head offices in um, Boston. They were going out there. They would go out there for about three years. So they said, would you like to come and house it for us rent free? You just need to look after our four cats and our two lads who are, one's about to go to university and the other one is at university. And they've got a beautiful house. There's yeah, about yeah. seven bedrooms, wow. five acres, so rent free. Yep. And I'm like, let me think about this. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So then it was like, oh, okay, I just need to get a job then down here. <laughs> so, so we, my husband went, he went down there about, well, it was nine months or 10 months before me. So I was in Birmingham on my own doing my, yeah. finishing my, my course off. And then I was trying to get, make contact with Ipswich Hospital because that was the nearest. Yeah. Because I thought Ipswich, Colchester, yeah. Barry maybe, but mm. I didn't want Ipswich because it's just easier. Yeah. And um, fortunately, I did. I got a job on the children's on the children's ward. Oh, so, perfect! At, at Ipswich, and and, um, and worked there, and we had an amazing time in in this in this house. And the two lads came back every holidays, and that was a bit tricky. But they were lovely. Yeah, uh, they were great. But they were. We both did shifts. We would just wave to each other, you know, going yeah. backwards and forwards um, around Randallsham Forest yeah. on that road. And um, so when they were at home and they were going to bed when I was getting off, yeah, that, it, it was a, yeah. Um, but they were, it, we, we, yeah, we sorted it. We, we sorted so is that, that was obviously the start of being settled living wise down in this part of the country yeah yeah so we um we got spoils a bit really so we we did we did that and everyone was looking going you look a bit young to be living in somewhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah because they'd had a few you know you get you get involved in local things and we had a load of um beautiful statues and things in the garden and we were just sort of sitting there and they were like where are your parents no, it's yeah. we're, we're here. <laughs> you can leave them to uh, to think about and ask the questions for themselves. Are they, are they just break in? Are they yeah, squatting? We, and... exactly, exactly. So, um, and then then um, sort of, yeah, they came back. Phil's cousins came back after. Well, it was uh, ended up about two years, and then we kind of had a chat and. We ended up just staying there for another year because <laughs> it was so big. Oh wow! And, and it was we got we all got on so well, and then we thought maybe we should move. Maybe we <laughs> better yeah. get our own place. <laughs> so, and I was ready to get another job as well. I and I was sort of looking at Adam Brooks and Cambridge, so decided to to move. And we moved to Linton. Yeah. In a little town, rented a little townhouse. So it's very, very different. And uh, but it was ours. And yeah. It was fine. Yeah. So it, was it? At what point was it there where you started to you know talk to your husband about having family and? Was it was it about then. Or? Yeah. Uh, so I was about twenty nine, thirty. Yeah. I was about about then. 
And yeah, and it, and it to be honest, it was when we were living there that it all sort of kicked kicked off, really, because you kind of you know you go to the doctors, and then they just initially they were just looking at me and doing all these tests, and they were like, everything's normal, everything's everything's fine, and and then they decided to test test my husband, um, and um, they wouldn't. Then they got the results um, of um, his, like, sort of sperm sample test and they just um, wouldn't talk to me and I remember Jeanette stood there and they, uh, yeah, and then there was nothing at all there. So so there wasn't so, a problem with d- the sperm? With the there sperm. was nothing, no, yeah. literally none, none whatsoever. So everything in theory on paper initially was like, well, it should there's, be happening. But there's nothing, yeah. So so we ended up going through loads of tests and stuff. He went through loads of tests because a lot of guys, they just, you know, they, they don't, they sort of don't really... Things the procedures don't really happen to them, but yeah, for Phil, yeah, yeah. he was going through loads of stuff as well. In in, in so initially, it, it was more not not. I didn't think the problem was was sort of me, um, and then it was literally like you have no sperm whatsoever, literally none. So, what we can get it. All there's different ways we can find out. So he ended up having some really painful procedures, not not nice, not nice at all. Um, And actually, I think it would be great for him to, he's very open about it, very open uh, to tell his story to guys, actually, because... Yeah. I don't. I've got no idea of sort of the prevalence of mm. of that in mm. men. I mean, I don't know if you know. I no, and I think it's something that um, women are more open, aren't they? Talking yeah. about yeah, stuff. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. anything infertility is people see it's a bit taboo, and they yeah. don't really talk about. They don't talk about IVF unless it's worked. A lot of people, because right. uh, they don't really. The more people you tell, the more they kind of keep asking stuff so yeah for phil it was it was it was yeah really really tough um and then uh, yeah so he he it sort of carried on to when we were in linton and he had this he had an operation and then the doctor told him literally as he just come around from his anesthetic that he couldn't have any children of his own it was oh, just horrible because oh. he was in so much pain and yeah. they told him that. So he struggled. Um, but then, yeah, but but we kind of got through got got through stuff together and then it was uh, the whole thing, okay, so what do we do now then? Um in parallel with with um we'd you know we'd we'd got settled there we got a little cat which has always helped you yeah, know, yeah a little yeah. comfort that's it comforting no, great, aren't they? and we uh and, and then I, I bring that in because we use that as a bit of a, as an analogy with um with the decisions that we had to make so i i just didn't want to upset him by kind of saying well actually i you know, I would really like my own to try and have my own children, but that wouldn't mean that he would he wouldn't be the biological sure. father. So we, but he's like, yeah, but Louis, 
Louis R's, but he's not R's. Yeah, and we yeah, love yeah. him just the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's nice. sort of the, nice. that, that sort of thing. So we we did go along that route, and that was an interesting. What we you know you get a bit of a dark sense of humour about <laughs> these things, and literally it's like shopping, internet shopping for like sperm. I mean, you have pictures of the guys and you oh, have, really? uh, and you know their IQ, their education, um personality as well as because of the important things of blood groups yeah. and things and and a, a very very detailed medical history because you didn't want to pass anything on. Yeah. So it was really very bizarre and we had to we made a decision and um we had to Phil handed up he had to order it and it was from like the um I don't know the Netherlands or something and he had an open plan office and he said it was such a weird experience yeah, but he imagine. was just telling people at work and they were like god I can't believe you're telling me this but it was we we yeah we did get quite so it was all like an, an online process well so what you do is you you when you pick the clinic the first clinic when we did the the NHS where I went with Bourne Hall the NHS they you don't get much choice they I mean they make sure it's fine but mm. we just got like this person this person this person and they don't really give you and then just tell you very briefly. And then um, when that didn't work, so we had three. When you can't, you could get three goes on the NHS, right, which right. was brilliant in in Cambridge. It was all fun, funded. When that didn't work, then we went to another right, private clinic, and they said you have to find that, and then they'll link up with them, and they gave some guidelines about where. You can go to this place or this place. These are the safe, best places right. to to go. And they then they deliver through frozen sort of <laughs> <laughs> UPS frozen whatever. Oh, right, I don't right, know right. to the to the. It's all a bit of a thing you just don't really know about until yeah. you until yeah. you go through it. And and it, the, there's so many sort of. Like, because you have to laugh, because otherwise it's just, it's, it, you can make yourself quite sad, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, so we went, so we, we had our we had our goes with the uh, sort of was NHS. Like the viable, so I was just going to say, you had, you had your goes, I, was, I thought you were going to say with the viable sperm. Oh, yeah, no, there wasn't any at all. So, so yeah, then literally... Um, and then it was like, well, this isn't working either, is it? And you, the the thing is, when you start doing things and they don't work, you can't keep doing the same thing mm. over and over again. And and actually, the the start of me starting to think differently was actually I. There was a really she was brilliant. She was like a fertility counsellor. And she helped us actually, this is before I did the Thrive programme, start going, 
you need to start doing some research yourself. She wasn't attached to any clinic. Right. She just said, look, this isn't, you need to ask them, ask them questions, take take notes. It's stuff that I tell my patients. Yeah, yeah, sure. Start, how can you take control of a situation? Because uh, it's not working, so what can they do? You need to ask them the questions. And, uh, yeah, so... Well, sorry, was that asked the... NHS. Yeah, yeah. I mean the thing the thing is they they do a certain they'll they'll offer certain things, but then if you want to go if they you want different things like you want to try various drugs if it's sort of your immune system, because I was suspecting it was my immune system that was killing off my embryos, right, but right. they didn't were quite conservative and didn't didn't want to go along that route or but they'd offer it if it was private but yeah not it wasn't through the NHS so I was like well could I fund those drugs privately and do the NHS no you can only do private or or yeah so I think I ended up having a few things they would let me have like I think some steroids and some other things just in just to help but but um, no, that that didn't. So I had three goes there, and it's still. So we ended up going to a clinic in London, which had the best results in the country, and it was a bit like boot camp, IVF boot camp, where if they told you to jump, you'd <laughs> how high. But they were very individual with their treatments, and we, um, yeah, and some days you felt a bit like a junkie like you'd have to keep injecting yourself a few times a day and if they said immediately they meant within the next half an hour oh, so wow. you'd have your sharp spin and you'd be wandering around London and you get a call and they go right you need to take this injection now um, what was that in relation to was that your your monthly cycle was it you know tying in with I mean sorry I don't know no, no, about it, it, in terms it, of what what was it, the need for it, it's, it's, you need to do it now yeah. It's basic, so they're basically deciding when they can implant the embryo. That um, when your body's ready to not implanting, to get the eggs to be mm. released, oh, okay. and you need so they you end up producing. They produce loads and loads of of eggs. So instead of having like one egg a month, you'd have loads. And it was, so you need to get enough and then they need to be big enough and ripe enough in order to then extract. So you just, your abdomen just feels, you like waddling around because you're just so oh swollen. Um so these injections just help um, make them bigger and make create more. And so you're having like ultrasound scans and you're having blood tests and then you're having these injections um, every day. And then when it gets nearer, it could be twice a day. And then you have to then take this trigger injection, which then releases the eggs oh, right. and then 
so many hours after that, they then you have an operation and they collect them all. They collect them all and then they uh, mix it with a sperm and then you've got your embryos and then they see which ones are the most viable and how many you've got and they wow. grade them with their, their, quali- yeah, yeah. their quality. Yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> So it is. It's a uh, it's it's a very weird, uh, weird situation, and you are completely in the hands of the professional, and you have to trust them to know that they're doing the right thing by you. Um, and yeah, you can feel really out of control, and I, I did for quite a while, and because you get the point where you. <laughs> They extract them. They 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 create an embryo, so it's in a little petri dish, mm. um, sort of being incubated. And then, and then when it gets to a certain point, they then will put it back inside you. And then you have to wait about ten days to see whether everything's okay and you're actually pregnant. And those ten days are like. That must be painful. The, the waiting. Th- yeah, don't think too much. Don't. It's like you want to be positive, but you don't want to be too positive. Yeah. You've got to be realistic, and everyone's trying to tell you how to think, and it's a complete head screw. Yeah, it's a complete head screw, and you've invested, yeah, emotionally, financially. A massive, massive Everything's amount. Everything's gone into it. Everything's gone into it, to it, and it's this waiting thing, and you just trying to do things to to just distract yourself, and then everything you do, you're thinking, "Oh my god, have I just done something? I shouldn't I shouldn't have done? Should I have a hot bath? Oh my god, if I had that, yeah, yeah. will I've done this?" And you get coming out really catastrophic, and um, yeah, so it's it's it's. That's the most difficult time, and and I just kept repeating it over and over again, and got more and more just really down. I was never on antidepressants. I did have to, I did have some time off work once when I I just I think I think it was a combination of that and and all the drugs, mm. and I completely you know when you just feel. Like you're not, it's not real, and you're going round. You know, I'm when people get really stressed, they don't that they're not really thinking properly, yeah. and they're going round in a daze. Yeah. It was like that, and for 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 a few weeks, and uh, and we just bought a, our house as well, which kind of was. Mm. a bit crumbling <laughs> and I couldn't even go there because I couldn't deal with it so it was a lots of things happening and um and it was like right I need to sort myself out this is just so I then started to look for different things that could could help me and, and I was that help you in terms of getting pregnant or help you emotionally and mentally emotionally I know I mean I kind of accepted that you can't really do, you can do everything and i mean i had acupuncture and i had i tried some reflexology which things us maybe might help but i think for me i just needed to get 
to deal with whatever happened yeah. i could i could cope with it and and to have a plan of what do you do you know with you coping, have to pick yourself up and what you do so next. coping with um how you feel in in reaction to not being able to become pregnant yeah so so you have your yeah you have your you kind of waiting 10 days and then they the clinic where where I went they they did a blood test and then you'd have a few hours where then they would tell you and that's really hard mm. you're just hanging around waiting for that phone call and and thinking okay well if it doesn't work what's the plan what am I, what are we going to do next? Because I think a lot of people they they just go on regardless. Right. They to the extent that people get themselves bankrupt and they relationships fail, etc. But I think the thing to do is to have a plan and to go right. I'm I'm going to do. If this doesn't work, I'm going to have one more go, and then it needs to stop right because for your own sanity and it's got to be right right for the individual and and when we had five that five goes and that was like right I think and I come to that I've sort of dawning on me but when you first start on the journey you never imagine you're going to need that many goes and do they give you some kind of statistics in you know 10% 10% of people have tried it and been successful trying it five plus times or, you know, is there something that says if you're going to, if you have, if it have, hasn't happened on the second occasion, yeah. it's very unlikely. Was they there think there like was that? loads of, I mean, there was loads of stats lying around and you obsess about them and then you, and then you get yourself in more of a, um, feel worse by going on these forums, yeah. which is basically a load of women colluding about how bad they feel and how mm. terrible it is. And then that doesn't help either. <laughs> and you can get yourself and then you've got your sort of people around you and deciding who you tell. Uh, I mean, we I had a really supportive boss. She was amazing and let me have some time off and I'd mix that up with annual leave. But some people don't have bosses that are no. like that and they don't mm. want to tell people and because you end up having to look after somebody else's emotions yeah. you know like family you end up comforting them and it's not about them is it so, sure yeah and so no it was um yeah it was it was tricky and how was um your husband through that this part of you know realizing that you couldn't get pregnant was it, is it affecting both you in, in that same, I guess, sort of um, where it, you know, affected you both mentally and emotionally or he was he quite a rock through it or how did that pan out? He, so at the point in which we, so we went to London and it was, it was really, it was a really tough time because we'd literally just, we'd moved in to this house. It was a, 250 year old cottage and we moved in and there was lots of problems yeah it was literally like um sort of needing to be held up by joyce and it was crumbling and he had a job in leicester at the time and i was in suffolk and i was having to go and have treatment so Mm. there was a lot of 
and then we had the, the cats who needed feeding. So there was a huge amount of stuff mm. going on. And he's he is like a rock and he is amazing. Uh, and we we had a we're quite yeah, he's very like rational, logical, like he had somebody to my brother lived in London, I'd stay with my brother, had somebody else to look after the cat. We you know, he would be there when he could be. Um and he, yeah, and, and because I ended up having lots of tests and it was my immune system. So we were kind of both, I suppose it puts us on an equal kind of going, well, this is thrown a curveball, another curveball in. And um, no, and he, I think he, I suppose he wanted to be there more than more than he could, but he was trying to, he needed to keep his job and he needed sure, that, sure. that's, that, that stability and he knew that I was looked after my my brother was looking at you know yeah, making sure yeah. it was okay and I had um a really good friend who came came down and spent and spent some time with me but it, it's there's so much people don't they don't realize how much you invest emotionally in in the whole process and any and it's really hard when you've got friends who are having kids mm -hmm. And most of them are great and they, they're very aware and you end up and you just end up avoiding certain situations sure. that you know will make you, you know, like yeah, don't yeah. look on Facebook on Mother's Day for goodness yeah, sake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's just going to be loads of people posting stuff about their kids or, or I used, I know I, I never, I never really ever got upset about, I got, well, I didn't express it, but once I did get a bit upset with somebody who was moaning, really moaning about wanting to divorce their children. And I just went something, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. bloody have children. I would love to get yeah, yeah, be my in that situation. <laughs> yeah. And then she was like, oh, sorry. So, yeah. Yeah, so it is. It's just choosing what what situations. Because I, I guess, like you were saying a moment ago about it being consuming, I should imagine it's all consuming in terms of it can. <clears throat> I guess it's always there, isn't it? Whilst you're in that kind of exacerbated state of realizing yeah. that you can't fulfil what you were. I think we were. You know, I've always sort of been. You know, maybe not. Sort of always really really sort of like thriving and mm. positive but mm. I was very quite resilient type of person so okay. because as a nurse you, you you need to be and and we'd we you know another failed attempt and every time I'd get back up and carry on and and we'd do nice things in between like we were, had a, a lovely holiday to New Zealand yeah we'd we'd do stuff I was always quite into fitness so I'd um get over it go and do a half marathon train for stuff because it does take a battering on on you physically so I'd I'd do that and then psych myself up for the next thing so so we just carry on like that and uh, I always tried to be kind to myself and do do nice things in between 
in between each. each it's great to have thing. that as well because it's easy not to allow that or not to know yeah. that that's a thing yeah. that you should do. Do you know what I mean? I think you can get yeah. pulled into a bit of that a negative emotional spiral where you don't necessarily. Mm. Um, yeah. It, yeah, it sounds for me for how you were talking. You kind of had this sort of yeah. awareness of okay, so I understand why yeah. I'm feeling in this way. But yeah. practically, if I do some of these things, like some challenges, like the running, some holidays, I can help. Yeah, keep myself on track. Or yeah, the, um, was any of that? Do you think was sort of partly coping mechanisms as well? Because I mean, I think sometimes with coping mechanisms, they're good, but they often, I personally feel they they provide a bit of a short-term relief to yeah. whatever is underlying. And I guess that might have been where Thrive came along to... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it was all... Uh, I was the queen of short-term solutions. <laughs> I was very good at... Yeah, I could go and... You go you go and do you go and do a run, you go on a nice holiday, you feel great. But... It's not to say that that doesn't have a place. It it has a, I suppose it has a place, but it doesn't change how I was thinking about how I was, I was, it was a temporary thing. I mean, so how I ended up doing the Thrive program was I wanted, um, like to to feel more relaxed. Mm. So I found a lady who did hypnotherapy, like relaxation, Mm. just to relax me. And so I did that. And again, it was a temporary thing. It did it did relax me, yeah. but it didn't teach me how to think in a different way. Yeah. But she also did the Thrive. She was a Thrive program consultant. So she just sowed that seed of, well, you're just about to have the next course, but why don't you think about coming back and doing the Thrive program before the next course? Because I think this would really help you. Yeah. And I didn't really know anything about it. And I didn't even, to be honest, I didn't even like do any research in between. I just was at, at that point where I was really desperate and I I felt really, I felt really low. I mean, I've never really had, looking back and knowing, having a lot greater self-insight now, it's a sort of, lack of confidence, low self-esteem, yeah. beating myself up. And I didn't feel good about myself. So I just, you just go to somebody like, and you just, just sort me out. Yeah. I don't care. Just sort me out. So I did it. I completely didn't have a clue what it was going to be. Honestly, no idea. Um, but I liked her. Yeah. And I trusted her and I thought, we're going to get on well. And um and I loved it because. So what was, yeah. what was how did that work? How does the, how did the Thrive program work for you? What? Well, so you you essentially you follow a book, and each week we would do cover a few a few chapters a week. So it was looking at at my beliefs, how I saw myself, mm-hmm. my self esteem. It taught me a lot about control and desire for control, which were big, big things and teaching me that desire for control is not really a good thing. Um, But if you can't control the situation, it's all about having really good coping skills. So whatever happens in your life, you can you can deal with whatever shit happens. So that that was a biggie. And I think 
from having done my psychology degrees, I I sort of recognised lots of the research in there going, oh, yeah, I know that. I've heard of that. And that's what I liked. And I liked the fact that it was very practical, very pragmatic. Like, this is how you can sort yourself out now. This is how you can think differently now. It it wasn't kind of airy-fairy waffle Mm, mm. without any basis of evidence because I was quite a, from, you know, evidence-based sort of, and and it was hard because it challenged so many of my ideas and you know, have you you've got a belief? Do you really believe that, or do you just believe that because you always have, or because yeah. your parents have? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but is that helpful to you? Uh, so, uh, but I really i I enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing it, and it definitely made me a lot calmer because I remember the last when we we'd made a decision that this was going to be the last go. Mm. And I remember waiting in this hotel room with my husband and he was like, oh, my God, you're so much calmer than me. You're, like, really, like, well, if it doesn't work, that's it. We're not doing it again and we'll just adopt. And I just was really, yeah, (laughs) he was really shocked. Uh, So it kind of stemmed from that, really. And of course, I was upset when it. Mm. You're going to be when and it. You, it yeah, you realised that you 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 reached the point that you you, yeah, know, you said okay, we're not going to do it if it doesn't yeah. work, and then that realisation, I guess. Yeah. Of, okay, it, so this is a, actually. A, a it, and it was it was it was hard, and we although we we had decided we did want to adopt, we knew that we they won't let you anyway do it straight away they you need a leave like six months mm. and we ended up leaving it a year and we just got on with our lives we i just threw myself into loads of stuff like i i sort of joined a triathlon club and did started just doing triathlons and i set up a a book club in where i live yeah. in clare and i uh and i just thought, you know what, I haven't, I need to get to know people in the community. I'm not really, feel like I, I, I know many people. So I, I just started doing things like that and challenging myself and I joined the Sudbury Speakers Club. All these things that I wouldn't have done if I hadn't have done the Thrive Programme and been through all the years and years of treatment uh. and that, that it, it just, I think it made me, what I'd been through, a stronger person. I suppose it's it's what uh, Martin Seligman is a positive psychologist. He calls that post traumatic growth. Right. So you you go through difficult times, and you instead of you know post traumatic stress, you you actually turn it round into something positive. Mm. And helpful. It's. I see it. You know. I saw it when I was working with um, can with uh, families. Children had cancer. They make a very difficult situation. They make it as positive as they could by raising loads of money, 
mm. a charity, mm. turning something difficult and making it a defining, you know, a defining moment of, the, of, of their life that, yeah, you don't have regret. Yeah. Mm. It wasn't easy, but I am a very different person to what I was 10 years ago. What do you think about, because, um, you know, there, there'll be lots of different situations where, you know, people have been through a very, for whatever it is, very challenging period and they've, they've come out of the other side of it. And um, I'm just sort of thinking about, is it about surrendering to what's going on internally? Um because it, I think before I think I was talking about this before we started the mm. podcast about talking mm. about things happen when they're going to happen, and there's mm. a bit about kind of observing what's happening and allowing. Mm. And it's you know you can see how you, I'm just trying to think in my head about you know there'll be some people that will have been in a similar situation to you mm. where they'll still be struggling mm. with the, the trauma of of what's yeah. happened. So yeah. it's sort of. Because you sort of wonder what's, I mean, I don't know, maybe you've had, if you've yeah. reflected at all about how, you know, how I, I went from yeah. there to, to yeah. it's kind of like the, I guess the stuff, the trauma of everything that you've been through is still there, but you're interacting with it in a different way or I, what would you say? I think uh, that, it, yeah, it it's it's there, but I think once I had my daughter, I think, it changed how I thought about everything, mm. and and you know the past has happened, and and it is not about the past. It is really about how you're thinking about it now. Right. So if you change how you think about it, because we can't we can't bottle up emotions. There's nothing in the brain to kind of a, a you know a yeah. little bottle for. So it, it is really how you are processing it, how you're thinking thinking about it about it now you do process something in a in a kind of helpful a helpful powerful way or 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 a kind of helpless and going because I think the past has happened and we can't we can't change it so it's how can we look at it in in a more in a more helpful in a more Mm -hmm. helpful way and you know people get PTSD because it is a processing, you know. They're they're thinking about it in a, in a certain help, you know, helpless, powerless yeah. way. And we can change how we think about things. We can, we can literally move, yeah, you know, move, move, move for move forward. Uh, you know, there's if even people who had really traumatic childhood things have happened because it's really interesting. Some people can have you know people have had really difficult things happen to their lives and it doesn't affect them at all does it and then you're thinking and then somebody else has had something similar and they're they're really struggling emotionally Mm. and it's thinking well how are these two people what's going on what's different and how can that person who's struggling be like that other person the the same thing has happened so it's not about the event; it's about how they're Is thinking. It, do you about think some it? of whilst you're talking, I was thinking about the fact that you went to thrive meant that you were motivated personally to 
yeah. kind of grab a hold of it yeah. with some support. And I, do you think that's something to do with it as well about, you know, people that maybe are, I mean, inverted commas, stuck or, or not moving from it? Are they, are you, you have to be willing to kind of embrace it and does that make sense? Yeah, I think you have to want to change and do something different because, it, you know, personally I sort of situations where you you really want to help somebody that you are very close to but you can't because they don't they don't yeah. want to change for themselves so you can't make somebody do be it motivated, be yeah. mo- you you have to get that from within your within yeah. yourself nobody can make somebody do the thrive program they have to want to do it because it it it, it is it it is easy to understand, but you have to put a lot of effort. Mm. You, you have to put effort effort in, but it's really you know you yeah. get the ma- massive re- massive rewards. But it is that motive that motivation. But I think I got to a, a tipping point. Like yeah. we were talking yeah, about, yeah. where I just didn't want to feel like this anymore. Yeah. I was I'd had enough, and I was really determined and it's almost like you have to reach that tipping point i remember not it's sim my sort of similar thing for me was when i worked in the nhs and i my my life became miserable because of my job or my my response to my job if you like yeah and so i for many years i was like well I need to earn this amount of money. I, what else could I do? And I need to have a pension. And and but my I just became so unhappy with it that after quite a number of years, I just reached a point where I remember. And I say this to a lot of people: I'd rather deal with anything else but this. So you kind of mm. and you're only you're only at that point when you're at that point, mm. you know. Or but before that, I might be thinking, oh, I need to try and do something, mm. and then I'd. To kind of berate myself for not taking action, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, I mean, in uh, you know, it's very easy to say, in hindsight, if I could have said to myself four years ago, mm. "Oh, well, I'm obviously not ready to do something about this right now, and at some point I will be." Mm. But <laughs> it's difficult, isn't it? And you, I think people have have a huge amount of learn, like learn helplessness about situations. Like you have, you can ch- change your situation, but. For some reason, you don't you don't yeah, do yeah. it, and and uh, and you just. Uh, I think I just didn't, and you don't know what you don't know, and yeah. you don't know, <laughs> uh, and you just almost need somebody to kind of go. Well, actually, you can look at things differently. You don't have to do this job. You don't have to, and then you're like, oh god, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize. I didn't realize. I think as well for me. I mean, I don't know whether it was. Is similar in your situation, but there's kind of that realization as well. Well, actually, the buck stops with me. I'm either mm-hmm. going to do something about this or I'm not. And if if that means that I falter along the way, that's okay. Yeah. I just have to be okay with that. And then, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. almost like because I I think for and may not be similar in this situation, but I'd often or maybe it will be. And you know, I'd often look at other people and think, well, it's all right for them. Or it might mm. be you know you'd look at other people and think, well, it's all right for them. They've got their mm. their child. And then realizing that that kind of thinking isn't really helping me move. It's forward. not helping. I think. I think it is. It's harsh, but you have to take responsibility yeah. for yourself and your own emotions, yeah. because nobody can make you feel miserable. Can make you feel depressed. You, you know, you, you, 
you hear it all the time. They're making me. Yeah, yeah. They're making. It's like well, you have chosen. You've you've yeah, chosen yeah. to react in a certain way, and so thinking about how you can change that because yeah. you can't you can't change anybody else. You can't change people saying stupid things. No, you no. can't do that. But you can you can change how it impacts you and. And ultimately, that's yeah. the only thing worth pursuing because it's easy, you know, just think about situations like being at work and getting it in the ear from my boss and me feeling a, yeah. a lack of self-worth or something like that. And then I'll go and speak to my one-away work colleagues and say, my God, I had this conversation. Oh, and they're like, oh, no, really? Well, they don't know what they're talking about. So you, you get involved in a lot of this yeah. sort of side chat that isn't necessarily yeah. about moving forward. It's about saying it's okay to feel sorry for yourself or whatever. Yeah, I've been a bit of colluding going yeah, yeah. on there, going, yeah, well, he was an idiot anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Because oh, that's the thing, isn't it? And that tea and sympathy doesn't doesn't really help in the long run I think you know you do need to have a friend who's kind of going come on yeah I'll be there for you but you just need to sort this yeah, yeah. you it's need like... to sort this out rather than kind of wrap you up in cotton wool and um you know and just blame it on the other person blame it blame it on the <laughs> blame it on the other on the other person no it's it, it, it's not it's not helpful is no. it no so when was did the adoption discussion come up during IVF or and was that how was that in terms of saying I'm okay with the idea of doing that? Uh, I don't. So I think when we they so when they they sort of get you to go and see a, like a infertility a counselor mm. and they they you know they they just sort of say well this isn't guaranteed this is. These are different routes, but it doesn't really you because you never think you're going to be in that situation. Yeah, yeah. And some people, they don't even go down the IVF route. They would, they would choose to just adopt. But I had to go through the the whole process to be in to be sort of emotionally hmm. ready, and I think. An important thing is is adapting as well to your cha- to your changing situation, and I think if you don't adapt, that's when people really struggle with their mental well being. Right. In that they are fixated on this is what I I want my own child, and I will do it however means, even if it involves a relationship breakup or bankruptcy yeah, or whatever. Yeah. So I didn't. But when we started getting past the the third go, and I think the idea started creeping up, and it, it was never a, even a consideration initially, but then it was starting to explore in my head, you know, that actually it's not how you get there, it's what you it's what you get in 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 the end and just mm. starting to have a do a little bit of research and kind of thinking well what would i oh i would like a baby i don't want to i don't want an older child i want them to know me as their mummy mm-hmm. not so we're yeah starting to i think creeping up slowly until then then it was like a bit like smack in the face going 
okay, yes, but this is what we had agreed, and I'm and and it is making peace with that that right. that decision that you have made to stop. Mm. It's a hard one, um, but an important one because you need to move on. You yeah. need to move on with your life. I mean, we were good at as we said about going on holidays, doing other stuff, because your life is not just about that. This was the best part of 10 years of our life. Mm. So we were good at doing other things, but enough is enough. Yeah. You can't, you need to, you need to stop. So we, we did. And, and yeah. And, and after, after a while, it t- took a while, but yeah, we were we were happy with that. And then the adoption process, it's not as people think it's really difficult. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Not that I have any idea. I don't have children, but every, my no, understanding of it. It's so what was so what was that? I guess is it an initial application of some form, and how does it how does it all work? So out? you. You can go. It was like an information evening that you can go. You can go to and and just get some more information. So we went. We went to that, and then we had the initial application. Is is you know, like your basic kind of police checks, mm, DBS mm. checks, background checks. So references mm. from. Um, I think you can have one family member and then you can, I think you need so, so many people that uh, friends, work colleagues, char- like character yeah. things. Uh, so they do, they do all that just sort of stuff about your, your family, your background. They will go, I think initially they would ring up some of the references, uh, yeah. referees. They'd, They'd have somebody, a social worker assigned to you. They'd come round to your house and have a look at your home and the suitability of it. You know, do we do we need to change some of the garden? Are the bedrooms okay? All the stuff you have to. You, this this was the sort of the most difficult bit. So they. So they go, oh, oh, stream, oh, yes. There's a stream at the bottom of our garden. None go, of the, none, none, none of this would have happened if you had your, you know. No, so I guess exactly, that's the exactly thing to get your head yeah. Around. I kind of, I get it. Yeah, but it, it, but uh, and so we said, well, what? How high a fence do you think? Because I don't want to do it. And then, and then she just looked at next door and went like that. And, and my husband was like, that fence is seven foot. I couldn't get over that. A baby would, uh, we we will block out all the whole of our view. Yeah. So, so she, oh no, 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 no. Uh, and so we we just made a judge, so the criteria you can be a bit loose with that kind of thing. <laughs> I think it's, it's as long as they they're not going to jump into the yeah. So st- stuff like gates and, and and then having things that you need to stare gates and stuff. But initially, you're not going to go and put all these things on when you haven't got a child no. there, are you? Oh, you've got yeah. to be. Yeah, that's yeah, a bit yeah. daft. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, it was part of the adoption process. You would have obviously arrived at a point where there's, for want of a better word, some kind of selection about choosing. Is that yeah. right? Is that right? 
Yes. So, so with my our social worker, when we once she was happy and approved us for for a, a sort of adoption, we went to so we went to a panel to get approved to be adopted parents. Yeah. Um, so that was a uh, that panel, and then they would then try and match us up with so they they know our personalities they know our backgrounds we say what we are prepared to accept right, so right. it's very it's a, a very artificial situation where you have to be really honest with yourself and to to know what you, do you want do you want a child to choose a child with with disabilities that you know of, or do you want a normal family life? And we, you know, we wanted a normal family life. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. if if there were things that cropped up, like when you have your own child, then you would just deal deal with them. But we wouldn't, we didn't want to go out of our way to choose a child who sure. we knew would be would have have challenges. challenges, and challenges yeah. For you and your husband. Yeah. So they literally go through a list of what do you want a girl? Do you want a boy? Would you be prepared to accept? And then loads of different, you know, physical issues, um, mental, children who've suffered different sorts of abuse. It's really, and it was really difficult. And we were like, do we want a girl? Do we want a boy? Are we bothered? Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, we're not bothered. We don't. We don't mind. We would like. We would like a baby or under under one because it's so much in terms of attachment. Mm. It's so much easier rather than when they get a little bit older. Yeah. So we we kind of thought we don't really we don't really want a, a child with any sort of serious issues. So then then they they found well they found Jessica that. So hers, so all the children have a social worker, and they're trying to they're communicating with the adopt potential adoptee social mm. workers, and I think, and I remember still, I I just had a personal training session in the gym, and it was a, it was January, two thousand seventeen, and and our social worker was on the phone, and she said, I think we've got a match, we've got a match for you, oh, wow. described a little as as, as Jessica. Uh, we've got a little girl, and at that time, I think she's about eight months. She's about eight months old, and we don't, we want to get this done quite quickly. What just gave us a brief description? What do you think? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then, then the whole the the process starts. We can't see her. We beforehand, we I think we were allowed to see her see a picture but we get all the backgrounds because you need to go into a situation with your eyes open you can't just accept something so they gave us everything that they knew about her and her 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 mom her dad her background and then we would read this and digest it and then decide if that we if we wanted to continue yeah. and to be approved and yeah and we got the chance to talk to um, a pediatrician 
to ask some questions and of course me being paediatric nurse I asked some really weird questions that he's never been asked before especially with my oncology head on about because she's got some mixed heritage and about if she if she ever worst case situation you know uh, needed a bone marrow yeah, transplant yeah. how you get hold of the biological parents oh, wow. and all of that and she's like oh and all like stuff like that <laughs> and um yeah and then we had the the panel where they approved our match and then that was then and then once that's gone through is the point in which you start then planning on meeting her. Wow. And we met her foster carers. They came around to our, our house. And then all these things that you, we've gone on a few courses as well. And when you do them, you're like, oh, why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? But then it all kind of makes sense afterwards. And we did we did some great things. We They said, right, you need to, Take a picture of yourselves and laminate it, and then a few pictures, and then set, and then we'll send it to the foster carers. So, a f- about a week before Jessica met us, she was eating her dinner off our faces so she could recognise us. And they said, when you go and visit her for the first time, wear the same clothes. And then we had to do a book with photographs of the house but we had to record in them about what the house was and she'd recognise our voices. And then they said, buy a cuddly toy and put him in each room. Wow. And then take, <laughs> and then, so I decorated this this audio. I never heard of them, but you can get these like audio, like photograph books. So there's Pip and the Penguin was in each room and we gave than that book um, again about a week before and then when they said then when you go bring the cuddly toy with you it was very clever very yeah, well yeah, thought yeah. about and they said you know what it will either work and you'll really bond straight away yeah, or yeah. It might take um, but we had a meticulous plan of how long we would spend each day with her and the foster carers were brilliant because it's their house and you're spending a lot of yeah, time yeah. in their house. So the so the first day, the most surreal experience, you know, you park you park up um, with your social worker and you knock on the door to meet your child for the first time. I can imagine that must in be. weirdness and big big occasions, you know, your wedding day yeah. and that. I'm knocking on the door to meet my child. And that was years to that point, isn't it, from trying to have yeah, you know, normal massive. biological birth all the way through Massive, to- yeah, massive, uh, like, just, and, and um, yeah, and, and I remember um, a social worker saying, she said, there's no, you, you don't know how you're going to react. She said, some people just start crying some people don't. Mm. Some people just react in really different ways. But it's just, you know, just make sure you don't crush it to death. <laughs> just yeah, yeah, just yeah. kind of can't, you got to... Okay, cool. Uh, can't, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, but, but, hey, 
paediatric head. Yeah, yeah, kick, good help. Kick, kicked in, kicked in, and uh, and it was just like, like we'll get down on hair level and and just yeah, play it cool, <laughs> play it cool. <laughs> and um, and and then each day we would we go out with them, so foster carer for a bit with her, and then gradually they just let us take mm. her out. And then to the last few days we were in um, a hotel. Uh, just staying there doing doing everything and carrying around this change bag and all this paraphernalia but with no child they thought we were really weird in this hotel <laughs> yeah uh, and then ultimately then we uh, then we took her home but uh, honestly the the whole thing was a lot easier than IVF a lot easier I mean so is that something yeah. that in your, I mean, obviously, you know, we learn from everything that we go through, but so you're thinking, I know it's difficult to advise somebody else, but, you know, from your experience emotionally, it might have been another decision to say from before IVF to adopt, do you think? or Because I know you said earlier that some people go straight it's, to adoption. Some people go straight, but I would, I would get people to seriously consider, yeah, just just adopting mm. people. There was people on my on my course who had who had done that, and people who'd had children, biological children of their own, and then they chosen to adopt. There was a couple who had various uh, sort of genetic issues, and they didn't want to pass them on, so they were doing an altruistic right, thing. Right, right. All sorts of um, lesbian couple, all all kinds of people. For all different reasons, and I would say, don't just jump to. I need my because she's my she's my daughter. Mm. I can't love her any more than I I do, and and I just think, and it's amazing to kind of create an amazing life for a child that's already here. Yeah, I would say I would say that yeah. uh, it's an amazing thing to to do, and yeah, and I. And how and long? Is. How long have you had her for now? Two and a half. Yeah, t- yeah, two and a bit. Yeah, two and a bit years. And um, and she says every day. She says to her, she says, "I love you, mummy. I love you, dad." You know, oh, wow. she's amazing. And um, yeah, and we we're fortunate that we there's no issues. There's no issues there mm. may be, but you you deal with that as you would yeah, deal with anything. I think adoption. There's a lot more certainty. Uh, you can't guarantee you will be able to, yeah. but um, I didn't think there would be an issue with us, and and it's very the certainty is a huge. There's a huge difference than than living with the uncertainty of IVF yeah, sure, for years. I so I, I would encourage, and there's so many children need adopting mm. in Suffolk. Um, and how how's parenthood? <laughs> yeah, she get well. She wakes up very early every day, but five or earlier. <laughs> but um, no, you kind of get you get used to it, and and um, and you you find your you you forget how to play when you're an adult, mm. and you kind of start. You have to kind of enjoying that. it, yeah. And then, and uh, now she's a bit older. I've got all my old Lego out, and we're playing. Ah. We're playing with that, and we're playing with. Uh, she's a bit older now. We can play board games. We can play like snakes and ladders, and and uh, dominoes, and all sorts of things. So, yeah, she's getting. She's 
yeah, she's three and a half now. So it's getting interesting. Yeah. Little personality. <laughs> so no, 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 no regrets. No regrets about about that. And and now it's it, it is thinking about well, she's going. She's going to be going to school. Yeah. And then and and it's like okay, I need to, and then I can think about how I move because I was my little companion. You know, I I work part time, but then I'm like, right, I need to tweak my life, yeah, because she's going to be forging her own yeah. like <laughs> path pathway. Oh, so so yes. it's a an amazing journey, and you know, from what you were saying, you obviously feel. You're in a totally different place mm. in your own skin to, you know, yeah. however many years ago and all of that transition and yeah. and also, you know, staying mentally and emotionally buoyant is probably a key part to kind of coming out the other end, which isn't to be, you know, taken lightly at all. And I think, you know, the, f- no. the fact that, you know, there's that thing and probably that's something that blokes aren't so good at about thinking I need some help. You know, and and thrive was definitely sounds like the catalyst for you, and in yeah, you know, and like we were saying earlier about you know you arrive at a point where you're ready to mm. see what what well what else is there? How else can I potentially you know move myself forward? And yeah, you know, yeah, and it's I think it just it just gave me that huge great sort of self insight into what I need to do to help to help myself and to move forward and you know and I'm still learning we all learned yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. continually learning trying to develop trying to challenge challenge myself in in doing different things I'm as I said I'm really into doing triathlons I'm never going to be the fastest <laughs> um but it's not for me it's not really about that and I'm I'm just I'm doing a half Ironman triathlon next wow. year. Where ten years ago, my te- myself was like, "Oh my god, you're mad, crazy woman," uh, and doing yeah, doing all sorts of things, not being scared to go and talk in front of lots of people mm. about what I do, which I never would have done. And I just one of those, just try and live life to the full. Yeah, yeah and yeah. if you want to do something, just just go for it and not not have any regrets yeah in life yeah definitely and not worry about what other people think about you is a big thing that i i've learned yeah and it is it is a big thing and i think it's sort of that you know your life experience is a huge part to play in the sum of you know who you become and using it all as it as experience, there was this thing I read in, I don't know if you're familiar with Eckhart Tolle um, and The Power of Now, and there's yeah, a bit in there yes. about, you know, we'd often say, you know, oh, that was a mistake, but if you learn something from it, then it's it's not a mistake. It's, it's just, not a mistake, And it's just no. being able to be, yeah. drop the ego enough to be able to say, okay, I can see why I felt that way about that, and yeah. shall I do something about it or... Mm maybe not at the moment and whatever's okay you know that kind of thing yeah it is and it's not worrying i i don't have any regrets i needed to do what i did yeah and i guess you maybe would have gone to adoption sooner but for you it needed to happen when it it needed to happen when it i think for for me i needed to 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 say i'd i tried everything yeah yeah like we literally did everything and in so in order to move on 
you have to mentally yeah. tick those boxes yeah. that you yeah. need to tick and then to help you feel feel happy with what with the decisions and have no re, have no regrets sure um oh. and uh, and i'm 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 completely happy with with that now yeah and it's great as well like you're saying through the thrive work that you do you can use your experiences to help other people and so with yeah. the i mentioned it at the start with thrive how do is it generally through because i don't suppose people get referred to thrive via a gp or anything like that or do they no well so some people so rob kelly the guy who set it up is in cambridge and and he knows some of the gps really well so they they can come that way but a lot of it is it's 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 word of mouth it's on yeah through through google maybe different forums that might point towards yeah there's there's there's, so the thrive program book books uh, are on on Amazon, right. they they now haven't got the there's there's a lot of um, sort of tests in there to just see where you are with various things like self esteem and um, social confidence, and now they're all they're all online. So you get the book and then you you do the assessment, um, and it's one of those things that you can do it you can do it yourself. But I couldn't. I needed somebody to, to, to kind of guide me yeah. through it and to have that accountability yeah. and to, to kind of make it bespoke bespoke to to me and just to set myself me some goals to to do each to yeah. challenge my perfectionism and to challenge my anxiety about certain sure. things. So Yeah, you sort of you kind of know within yourself what your sort of I guess learning methods are or techniques or what's best for you yeah and things that you because in life you have to you can't avoid what you're scared of you really Mm. have to challenge yourself and not be and and feel comfortable about that but but you know not throwing yourself in the deep end but little challenges and little evidence that that you you build up and and that's what I that's what I help people to do, and it's it's so satisfying. You know, you get people coming in, and they just they look so down, depressed, and and it's all about kind of just motivating, yeah. engaging them, and making them see that this you don't have to think like this. That's there is great. another way to think about things. It's great to be in a position where you can enable that positive change in people. You know, yeah. be facilitate it, be the conduit, whatever yeah. it is to make it happen, and really quickly as well. I mean, it literally only takes weeks, like six, six mm. weeks. You don't have to go to therapy for years and years mm. and years. You just, it, it's just a way of turning things round yeah. really quickly. Yes, you have to. It's not just you do the six weeks and then and then you stop. It's it's a right. I know everything. I've got the toolbox, and then you need to go out and do it yourself yeah. and yeah. and not be reliant on me. But you've got everything then, and yeah. you go out and you practice it. And, yeah. and, and I think when people it. embrace that and and can live it, then they're going to share it. You know, they're going to share yeah. how you know they've. You know how it helped them, or yeah. you know whether it's thrive or just the positive mental attitude or whatever, whatever it yeah. is. Yeah, and it, it's it's fantastic. I, I, it's totally changed my life, and I would say to anybody to if they're struggling or they know somebody 
who's who's struggling with in you know infertility or losing babies or anything or yeah, anything yeah. else just to yeah have Good. a look Sue, thanks so much for your time today Thank you. and thanks for sharing. And uh, like I said, the main idea with this podcast is that it's it might be anything from interesting listening for somebody or it might be, you know, something that um, people relate to in terms of being in a similar situation or something that's relatable to help them, you know, move forward and, and make a decision along their way. So okay. Thanks Thank very you. much. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you for listening to that podcast with, with Sue and I. Um, a really interesting listen. Sue's a real uh, brave person, as I'm sure a lot of the women are out there that have been through the challenges that not being able to have children can present, um, but being positive. And I think Sue's really taken it that step further with what she does as a job um, and how demonstrating how being supportive can really help um you move on from what can be a bit of a, a challenging realization of realizing that you you know you can't have children as you would have dreamed growing up. Um, so Sue's a real asset to our society, and it's, it was really great to talk with her. Please do share the podcast. Um, I'm sponsoring the podcast, Yoga with Ian. Com, East Suffolk Yoga. So if you're in the East Suffolk area and fancy trying some yoga, please do come along to the lovely yoga studio that we've got at Rendlesham near Woodbridge. So the website there is www.eastsuffolkyoga.com. Thank you for listening. Please share. See you next time.